I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzy. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. I'm the king of the podcast world. And you're my Headline king and queen, I'm the king of the podcast world. Come live your secret dreams right here, man. And guess what? It's Friday. It's That's right, the remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride. Start a roar right now. Do you wanna take a stand? 
Fozzy record, Do You Want to Start a War? That was Do You Want to Start a War? Go check out the video now on YouTube. You won't regret it. Playboy Playmate of the Year, Irina Voronina, is in the video, and she looks hot, hot, hot. Go check it out. Lots of dancing girls, lots of maximum rockicity, which fits because we've got a lot of maximum rockicity today with Slash Part 2, and we get into some amazing topics. Off the beaten path of what Slash usually talks about, we're talking about the Rolling Stones, we're talking about dinosaurs, what his theory and what my theory are as to why dinosaurs are extinct. We talk about our favorite dinosaurs, all the different uh, weird and different variations and species of dinosaurs, and organically, we started talking about Guns N' Roses, what it was like to be in the most famous rock band in the world at that point in time. I also straight out asked him if he thought there would ever be a Guns N' Roses reunion, and you'll hear what he said about that. He talked about getting sober, what it's like playing guitar on stage when he was under the influence. So many great, great topics today, slash part two coming up, but first... You know what I have to do here. I got to say thanks to all of you for using my links every time you shop at Amazon. Easiest way to support the show. And I appreciate you supporting the show. I know there's hundreds, if not thousands of podcasts for you to schwaz from. I appreciate you schwaz in mine twice a week. And the way you can really show your appreciation is every time you go shopping use one of my Amazon links. If you do that, Amazon kicks back a couple bucks to the show to help us cover production costs, all right? I got links for Amazon USA, Amazon UK, Amazon Canada. A, you know you got to buy some stuff. The holidays are just around the corner. So go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcasts free banner at the top of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. You can get all kinds of cool stuff on Amazon. The new Fozzie record, Do You Want to Start a War? How about my new book, The Best Selling, The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea? Many people say, saying it's the favorite Chris Jericho book out of the three I've written. If you haven't read it yet, what are you waiting for, man? If you listen to this show, you obviously like hearing my stories. You obviously like hearing my tales. Obviously like hearing my dissertations. So go check it out through Amazon. Plus, you might want to pick up the new Slash record, Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, World on Fire. It's their best record, the best thing Slash has done since Use Your Illusion, in my opinion. But hey, you can buy whatever you want. Buy a computer, go buy some books, go buy some clothes. Amazon has everything you got to do some christmas shopping so this is the way to do it and listen the truth about my amazon links you want to know the truth you can buy whatever you want and it won't cost you anything extra no hidden fees or uh, extra challenges so if you happen to be doing some amazon shopping you can help out this show in the process okay you help out me in the process you scratch my back i scratch yours good 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 go to podcastone.com click on the keep our podcast free banner at the top of the page then hit the talk is jericho button bookmark it as well so you can get those links in one easy click okay the Cinderblock Party with Texas Hippie Coalition and Shamus Harvest is underway right now. We played our first show last night at the Machine Shop in Flint, Michigan. A sold-out, awesome crowd. The place was jam-packed. This tour is kicking off with a huge, huge start. Tonight, we'll be rocking Steger, Illinois at another hole in the wall then saturday at mill city nights in minneapolis it's going to be another great show sunday in des moines iowa woolies home of Corey taylor uh, talk is jericho alumni monday we're rolling through uh, pops in st louis on november 24th tuesday november 25th we're hitting rockford illinois at the district wednesday the 26th in kenosha at the brat shop with jackal that's the turkey beer baster bash for 95 w-i-i-l Heading home for Thanksgiving, then on the 28th, the day after Thanksgiving, we'll be in Joplin, Missouri on Black Friday, except for it's Party Friday, it's Fozzie Friday. So many amazing shows coming up with the Texas Hippie Coalition and Shaman's Harvest. 
All the dates, all VIP information, all ticket information at FozzyRock.com. This leg of the tour wraps up December 12th in Tampa, Florida. And then in March, we're going overseas, the Cinderblock Party World Tour with supporting guests, the Dirty Youth. That starts on March 4th in Belfast, Ireland. Then we're going to Cork and Dublin, hitting the rest of the UK, Manchester, Glasgow, Scotland, London, Bristol, Brighton, Exeter, uh, Southampton. So many great shows. Go check it out, FozzyRock.com for all ticket information gig information and vip tickets and believe me you're not going to want to miss the vip fuzz experience we have one of the best vip experiences that you've ever had if you've gone you know you're not gonna be disappointed hit us up at fuzzy rock hit us up at i am jericho hit us up at talk is jericho on the twitter if you've been a fuzzy vip and let us know what you think i promise you are going to love it this tour is going to be the best tour of the year and you are going to have a blast i guarantee it come on by and say hello just like slash did actually i came on by his house said hello so much we've got two parts of a great conversation part two is coming up very very quickly but first this weekend survivor series is coming up huge huge uh, traditional Survivor Series match, Team Cena versus Team Authority. And the loser, if it's Team Cena loses, they get fired. And if Team Authority loses, they're ousted from power. I talked about that on SmackDown a few weeks ago when I made my triumphant return to the WWE. Uh, But because it's Survivor Series, you know what that means. I got to do my pay-per-view predictions. And I got uh, my friend, actually, he's my friend now. We started out as enemies, uh, Egypt, the janitor. When I was in high school and I had my own wrestling company, Egypt um, came in and stopped the main event midway through. This is real, by the way. And I always had a real deep resentment for Egypt, tracked him down, had him on the show, and now he and I have become friends. So Egypt, it's great to have you back. Um, what do you think about this Sunday, about Survivor Series? Jellico, I am very excited about the Survivor Series. So many great matches on the card. So many great stipulations. So much drama. Everything is on the line at Survivor Series. <laughs> Alright, well let's go uh, check out what's going to happen uh, at Survivor Series. The, the pre-show kicks off. With the return of my old rival, Fandango, apparently he's, he's, he's returning, he's learned some new dances, and he's got a new valet in Rosa Mendez. She's got some staying power. Uh, what do you think about the return of Fandango, Egypt? I am very excited about the return of Fandango. There is not enough dancing wrestlers, especially after the firing of Brody Clay and the breakup of the funk adaptors. I love the dancing wrestler. I need to see more dancing wrestler. And I will get more dancing wrestler with Fandango. All right, be interesting to see who he faces. A pay-per-view lineup. Divas traditional Survivor Series elimination tag match. Alicia Fox, Natalia, Naomi, and Emma versus Paige, Cameron, Summer, and Layla. Paige, one of the top guests we've ever had on Talk is Jericho. Hugely successful. Ratings just piling up when she was on the show. I'm going to uh, vote for her. I'm saying Paige is going to win. Ah, Jericho, you are so biased. Why wouldn't you not vote for Natalia? She has also been on Turkish Jericho. I am voting for Natalia to win the match and take her team to victory. Okay, so I'm going with Paige. You're going with Natalia. Let's go with WWE Tag Team title match. Usos 
versus Damian Sandow and The Miz versus Los Matadores versus defending champions Stardust and Goldust. I'm going to go uh, on a limb. I'm going to say Damian Sandow and The Miz are going to win uh, the tag team championships. Big upset. I've been waiting for a long time for last matter three hours to get a chance to get a victory. I love the Toritos, a little guy with the jumping and all the flying that he does. So I am going for last matter three to win and become the new tag tag world world team team champions. Okay, uh, and then you know, a strange thing, two Divas matches on the same show, kind of weird. Uh, title match, Nikki Bella versus AJ Lee. I'm going to say that AJ Lee retains because there's a lot of rumors that she's leaving. I bet you those are just that rumors, and she's actually not leaving. Uh, she's staying in the WWE, and she's going to uh, retain the title. Uh, this one is a very tough schwaz, but I will go with Nikki Buila. Because she still has her sister as her valley. So Nikki Buila shall win over Ajuila. Okay, uh, Dean Ambrose versus Bray Wyatt. I mean, this is probably the second biggest match on the show. So I'm going to go, uh, I think Wyatt needs a, a big win here. We haven't seen him in a while, and I think he should get the win um, and continue for, for a long feud against Ambrose. I agree with you. Well, it's rare when, when you and I agree, Jerry. Go. <laughs> but it's, it's good to agree for once. I agree, Bray Wyatt shall win. Follow, follow the bazaars. Follow the bazaars. I love when he says, follow the bazaars. So I will go with the Bray Wyatt. All right, and in the big main event, like I said, Team Cena, John Cena, Dolph Ziggler, Big Show, Eric Rowan, and Ryback. If Team Cena loses, all those guys will be fired. Uh, that's a new stipulation that's coming out on, on SmackDown. We've got a little a spoiler alert there. Uh, Team Authority, Kane, Seth Rollins, Luke Harper, Mark Henry, and Rusev. If Team Authority loses, Stephanie and Hunter are out of power. I mean, the stipulation here, I mean, come on. If, if Cena, Team Cena loses, they're going to get fired. That's a typical WWE subtle hint that, hey, Team Authority is going to lose. Buy the show. Watch the show, which you can watch for free on the WWE Network. So I think it's quite obvious that Team Cena is going to win and uh, Team Authority will lose power. I think it's going to come down to Cena and Ziggler against Rollins and Harper, and Cena will win by beating Rollins. Oh, Jericho, that you fell into the trap of the Vince McMean. He wants you to believe that Team Cena will win. But how shocked will you be when Team Authority wins? And suddenly, John Cena is without a job. Dolph Ziggler is without a job. Big Schwab is without a job. Eric Rowland is without a job. And Ryback is without a job. I think that the team Athwality will win for the big surprise. And on Monday, we will have to wait and see what will happen to Team Cena. Well, that's an interesting theory, um, Egypt. I'm glad that... Uh... Uh, you know, that you're able to express your opinions. It's good to have you back, and, and we'll see what happens. As always, keep tabs during the show. Hit us up on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho, hashtag Jericho versus Egypt, and let us know whose predictions are better and who's overall the Nostradamus of the WWE. 
Thank you, Shwabiko, and I will talk to you next month, and we will see who the winner is. Every month I beat you, every day I beat you, every minute I beat you, every second I beat you, and I beat you now. All right, so there you go. The big predictions for Survivor Series, like I said, which you can uh, order on pay-per-view, or you can uh, watch it on the network for free. What a great, great bargain. What a great deal. Check that out on Sunday. we got Slash Part 2 coming up today. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas. See? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words, sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Talk is Jericho. All right, it's time for part two of my conversation with the man in the top hat, one of the most iconic guitar players in history, my boy, my brother, my buddy, Slash. Well, you've got a really cool, like, the Slash style of riff. I mean, when, when you wrote a song called Slither, that hits the You've got this real slithery kind of cool groove thing. Like, I'm thinking about, like, I, I even texted you about it. We were listening to Wicked Stone from, from the new record in the yeah. dressing room on, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago on tour. And that song is just so killer so there's so many cool things going on but it's such a real slimy cool groovy riff I like man slimy. that's good yeah <laughs> I mean, that's totally what you do best that's your wheelhouse i think that's just from um you know like growing up as a kid the things that turned me on as far as guitar stuff like you know like the the first opening riff of whole lot of love mm. is one of the sexiest sleaziest yeah. sounding things Sleazy. and so i think you just naturally go in the direction of what your influences are mm-hmm. so from like you know jimmy page and and uh stones you know keith and mick taylor that was a big one mick for me taylor, amazing um uh and then into like old aerosmith and early acdc it all has that similar kind of like dirty alley kind of yeah. sound and so i think i just naturally go for the go for that you know uh, did you see the stones uh tour mm-hmm. last year yeah Where they had Mick, come yeah, out yeah you did in that rambler yeah. oh that was so good man and 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 can't you hear me knocking which is yes. probably one of the the best rock guitar solos, you know, and, and a song that's pretty underrated. A lot of people yeah. don't think it. You got to be a Stones fan to know that. Another one they played too. I saw them on two separate occasions. Uh, they played Sway. 
mm. as well. Mick came out one because they, they would switch their set lists around. Yeah, I don't know, know if I, they played Sway when I was there or not. Yeah, the Knockin' One Night, Sway Another, okay. and then of course Rambler. But I told you the story too. It was really cool to see they did um, "It's Only Rock and Roll," the second song in the set, mm. and the second time I saw them. I don't know what happened, man. It was a train wreck, right? Train wreck central. Keith was in Pittsburgh, and Mick was in Cleveland, and the only guy that was on was Charlie Watts, and yeah. they just kept going and slowly watched them come back. Even yeah. Daryl Jones was confused, and then after about a minute and a half, they came back to where they had it. It was just great seeing like even, even the greatest who, yeah. band in rock and roll yeah. still screwing up. I remember reading a thing that Keith said where they, you know, he was joking about how, you know, whether it was him or Charlie who on occasion would by mistake turn the beat around hmm. and it was always you know their thing to be like i had it right you're the one that <laughs> fucked up and that was their you know charlie said no i was never wrong you, you're the <laughs> one that fucked up so there's you know with with rock and roll and, and that sort of feel thing which is so essential to to what rock's all about is you have that give and take that's happening and sometimes you can turn around mm -hmm. and then once you've turned around if you don't jump back you can turn the whole thing around yeah. and someone's got to be holding it down otherwise it is almost impossible to get back to, to get where, back yeah let me ask you this i mean you're one of the only guys that can ask about this question charlie watts um was saying how when they did a lot of stadiums i mean they still do but it, it was 80s 90s stadium stones mm -hmm. he said it got really hard for him to keep that feel because mick is walking down the catwalk or mm -hmm. mick is over here and keith is you know 60 feet this way and he said a lot of the feel is is watching mm -hmm. and he said all i'm seeing is these little stick figures you know at the end of the rampway it's hard to keep that together yeah. how was it playing a stadium with guns and roses because you guys very much were in that same field yeah well you know it's it's that's another really great great question because like with the stones guys they're essentially a garage band. Mm -hmm. I mean, a little, a small club band on a big stage yeah, where it's all this band. Room. But they really are, they really play off of each other. Mm -hmm. And and so basically you're seeing this massive production and there's just, you know, basically five guys that are playing very sort of off of, you know, playing the song, but in that's, in it's very raw kind of form. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like a, there's not a lot of bells and whistles going on. It's one, two, three, four. And, That's right. And they're playing four or five chords. And you know. <laughs> so I, I totally get that because with with Guns N' Roses, you know, we had these ego ramps that went off, uh, you know, on either side of the house and so on and so forth. And you there's and there becomes delay issues and mm, all this stuff. Right. So all of a sudden you have to really start thinking as you're doing. It's like you know patting your head and rubbing your tummy at the same <laughs> time. You're you're running out there and and the energy has carried you out there. It's not something you really thought about. And then all of a sudden you're listening for the downbeat to make sure or you're listening for the snare, listening for one just to make sure that you don't get away from that. Right. And then you try and spend as little time for any length of time out there and then get back so you can all sort of lock in and make sure you didn't get, you know, Yeah, that you were there. too far out in space where you yeah. got lost in the black hole. And this is pre inner ears too. Oh yeah. yeah. Would you have monitor at the end of the ego ramps? Uh, I think what we had was, uh, yeah, sunken monitors on either side, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because otherwise, yeah, because when you're going down, if you're trying to listen to the house, um, what ends up happening is just delay city. You know, it's really hard to sort of discern yeah. what is actually 
coming out in real time. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It might be easier nowadays if you actually had the I interviews. Don't use interviews. You so, never do, right? No, I can't stand them. It's, it's uh, something I think uh, there's a few guitar players. Uh, I know Joe is one of them. That sort of Joe ambi- Perry. Yeah, the, there's an ambience that that comes out of the amp that mixes with the room. You know, mm. whatever size venue you're playing, that you can't get with in ears. It just sounds very small and boxed in. And mm. It's hard to play with the kind of energy and, yeah, and yeah, hit yeah, the yeah. guitar the way that you want it to because it just doesn't sound like that you know yeah so it's, i can imagine it'd be hard to to you know lock in with that much space yeah. and it's so spacious i was gonna ask you another question too hanging out with uh with duff over in australia last year obviously super cool guy mm-hmm. great what are you talking about it was just his hands hey <laughs> he was telling me he was telling me all the stories about you know how he's so clean now obviously sober as you are mm-hmm. Um, was it, how, how was your playing when you got sober in comparison to when you were drinking? Did you notice a, a difference? Um, well, let's see, you know, there's a thing about playing, uh, under the influence that it's, it's, you know, it's like being a chemist. Mm-hmm. You have to sort of make sure you know that you can't go too far over. You can't mix too much of this and that. You know or that you're going to screw up right. your balance, right? So, so you know, it was always for the most part, at least for me, it was it was always under the influence of alcohol. Mm-hmm. When I was on stage, I never carried my other bad habits on the road with me because I never wanted to deal with that day of running out and getting yeah. sick on the road or traveling overseas yeah, or yeah, something, yeah, yeah. Yeah, any of that. So it was all about sort of keeping on an even keel so there was a looseness to playing drunk you know mm-hmm. or or you know with a few cocktails Buzz, in yeah. yeah that was you know s- sort of like a cool thing you know mm-hmm. i'll give it that but then at the same time you know you never knew what mood you know exactly what your day was like and and sometimes you know you could be a little bit burned out for the show because how, you know, maybe, especially waiting around three hours before so shows. That was question, always yeah. really hard. You know, when, when you know, okay, we're on at nine. So you're, then you can plan it out. It's all good. But when you're not really sure when 10, you're going to go on, and, and then you, you just sort of keep drinking. And you know, That's what Duff was saying. That's why he drank so much vodka, because yeah. by the time you went on at 11 or 12, he was planning for nine and then had to keep drinking. And then by the time you hit new, at midnight, it's like, yeah, it's a crapshoot. Done, yeah. But, uh, you know, I remember the first shows that I did. You know, I've had some real disaster kicks uh, <laughs> going out and starting a song and not remembering how it goes and the band just waiting around. <laughs> I've had, uh, you know, uh, mis- mishaps with the intro to any number of songs, Sweet Child included, where I was like, oh, you know. How does this go again? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but anyway, so, so with Velvet Revolver, um, I went through. Uh, sort of a, a dark period from 2005 into uh, or mostly 2006 mm. where I just went r- way back down to sort of like my ultimate bottom and mm. and that was that was when I really realized that it's just not really fun anymore so when I got sober I was in rehab and Scott decided oh I want to do some shows mm-hmm. so I left rehab to go do the first sober shows I'd ever done and that was like basically was that? it was it was interesting because I'm not much of a, I'm not a very outspoken person. Like when I get on stage, I really sort of, 
become insular. Like mm. I, I, that's why the hat really works for me, mm. and I put my hair in my face, and I get behind the, get behind the guitar. Yeah. I and I even with glasses on, I have a hard time making eye co- contact with the audience. It really wow, freaks okay. me out. So suddenly going out, and, and a, a drink always took the edge off. Right. You know? So walking out there and playing uh, in front of uh, we were playing these sheds without without a cocktail. I was very shaky and very. Nervous, unsure of yourself. Not necessarily unsure. Well, I, that's the thing with me is like going on stage for me is always a very nerve wracking. Like I'm very anxious <laughs> to get up there, but I'm really nervous. I'm very high strung. I'm very like pensive at the same time. And uh, and then you work out work that out in the first few bars or yeah. in the first song. So with with playing sober for the first time, it was like oh my god, this is raw nerves and just like. Just like exposed, exposed. <laughs> but then you know, it, once you get over that initial shock, it actually, you know, it's fine. And then you start to realize you start. I mean, as a player, being sober has allowed me to exp- grow as a player. Where mm-hmm. Drinking sort of kept you within a certain comfort zone, and it was hard to really expand on that. So uh, being sober has made it so I actually. Um, really get into every note that I'm playing, and I know what I'm doing, and I'm I'm very much more into it, you know, mm-hmm. than where I was just sort of off the cuff doing it, which has got a cool thing to it. <laughs> yeah, but it sure. doesn't necessarily always work. It's you know? cool when you're in your 20s <laughs> and maybe your 30s as you get older. I think Van Halen mm-hmm. was the same. He's like he said that he was drunk for every gig up until in like 1995 mm-hmm. or something. Like every gig, mm-hmm. how many gigs did you play? You know, and it just seems like. It's well, more when you're an alcoholic. It's every day. Well, that's right. <laughs> Especially yeah. when you're on the road. Like, I mean, yeah. even even like I'm I'm not an alcoholic, but dude, I, I drink a lot when I'm on the road because you're just bored. Yeah. You know, you go do one of those festival tours like Uproar or something. We're on at five, done at five forty-five, and then you sit there till bus call at three in the morning. Well, that was. That's, what are you gonna do? That's the biggest. I mean, the the biggest thing for me uh, to sort of have to learn, um, and it took the longest was you know there from as as a kid you know nineteen twenty all the way to you know up to a certain point Mm -hmm. it was just like it was just partying it was all fun and it was a way to kill time and and, finish the gig and start the party and you know i mean we did it more hardcore than most people because we were more hardcore than most people but it was all in good fun and then somewhere there's this invisible invisible transition where it turned into like the major crutch Mm-hmm. You know, and especially in the '90s when we were doing uh, the, the the big stadium gun stuff, and you find that you become very much physically and as well as mentally dependent on all this stuff, um, and you realize that that you use it to fill all the gaps in mm-hmm. everything that goes on when you're not playing on stage, right, 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 <laughs> right, right, and uh, and and you get off the road right after touring at that pace. For you know, we would go out for t- more than two years, you know, wow. pretty much straight. And you come home, and everything just stops, and you don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah. So you then you become really sort of subconsciously self-destructive. You start doing sh- that, you know, it's it's just to, it's a lot of boredom, kill right? More time, yeah. There's a great picture I, te- I we've talked about it before of the Stones and Guns and Roses. I'm but not in it. You're not in it, and Ronnie Wood isn't in it. I was like, "Where were you guys?" You're like, "Oh, we were out in the limo." <laughs> where were you? Well, you I, I know where I was. <laughs> that was that was because uh, it was in Los Angeles, and we were off the road, um, and I had gone into a very serious uh, smack uh, haze, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we had these gigs, and I, I'll tell you the whole story. I went, 
my uh, we got the offer to do the Stones gigs. Open for the Stones. Open for the Stones. Gosh. And we weren't doing anything, and the band was completely uh, splintered. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in my place, not even coming out except for to go to the store. That was it. Yeah. Hiding. Steven was in his place. Stuff was in his place. I don't know where Axel was and Izzy was in his place. And we weren't communicating. We weren't trying to really jam. We weren't doing anything band-like. And we needed to get back up and running. So this offer for the Stones came. And uh, my manager, who knew, was very aware of the condition that I was in, said, you know what, you guys, that would be the, that would be the, the straw that broke the camel's back. You can't handle going out and opening for the Stones. And uh, I said, let's go check them out. They're 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 setting up for their first show, and I think it was Pittsburgh or something. Mm-hmm. So we he and I flew out there, and on the way we stopped for a Great White, like something having to do with Great White. So we flew to another state. The band Great White. Yeah. Okay. To see them? No, no. So I stayed in the hotel room. I was traveling. Oh, with Okay. And I stayed at the hotel, and I needed uh, – I, I don't want to say it. Yeah, you needed apparatuses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I concocted this whole thing with the front desk to the point where they managed to get stuff from the doctor for me. Wow. And then I tore my entire room, the mattress, everything into smithereens. So my manager comes back, and he sees the state that I'm in and the room's in, and he's just like, oh, God. Right. So then off we go to Pittsburgh. And they're all set up in this stadium and uh, went down to soundcheck, saw Charlie Watts's 40-year-old drum head, yeah. and, uh, and then went back to the room to wait for the gig, and then I passed out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, next, the next day, they pick us up to go to the airport, and Alan's like, so you didn't see the gig at all last night? And no, I, I fell asleep. Anyway, so we go back to L.A., and he goes, you guys are in no condition to do these shows. I said, we have to do it. We need it. It's for the band. You know, we got to go. We got to do these gigs. And so we book them, and we went up there, and, and, I, and I had a really serious habit going mm-hmm. on at the time. And uh, we did a warm-up show at the Cat House, which was total Guns N' Roses mayhem, but it was at the Cat House. It was our gig. It was okay. So it's okay, right. But, and uh, when you say that, you mean kind of sloppy or slop, just Sloppy, raw. chaos, yeah. stage diving. You right, know, nuts, yeah. And it was a, it was a good set, all mm-hmm. things considered. Mm-hmm. And also, because we haven't played in a long time, so there was that fierce, like, wanting to get out and jam, you know. Anyway, so we get up with the Stones, and then right... The, the night, let's see, we did the, what was the deal? We did the first gig and it was a disaster. And this is an L.A. Coliseum, Big, right? Yeah, and plus and, you're playing and, with the Stones. And, they ain't and, no joke either. Well, no, of course. Right. But then we, I don't even think that I was aware of how big we were. So, like, there was a lot of eyes on us. We, we had become something bigger than what we'd left you didn't realize how big band. the band had yeah. grown i yeah i had no idea how big we were becoming because this was just after appetite between appetite and yeah, illusion yeah yeah i think uh, lies had already come out at that point okay um but we were selling a lot of records but i was i was i was secluded in my house playing with my snakes i didn't know <laughs> you had no idea <laughs> and uh so we go out there and we do this and the band literally falls apart on stage um, wow like a train think- wreck yeah, and I spent most of the set standing in front of my amp with it back to the audience. And and I think it, at some point Axel had fallen off the stage, and it was just like... But to the public, apparently, it was very entertaining. Right? <laughs> but Axel was pretty pissed off about the whole thing, and he was de- definitely discouraged by the fact that I was carrying like a, a you know 75-pound monkey on my, sh- on my back mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So he said he wasn't going to play the next show. 
So this was like four o'clock in the morning after the first show. Wow. I get this phone call. And so basically what it came down to was he wanted me, if we're going to do the show, he wanted me to go up and apologize. On stage. On stage. In front of in front of all 90,000 people. people. And I was like, I just got to get the gig. The show's got to go on, blah, blah, blah. And so I went up there, but I, I did, I talked about heroin and I sort of twisted the words around into something that he thought was an apology, but it definitely wasn't. And we worked into Mr. Brownstone and we started to come back together at okay. that point. And then we did the third show and the band played its awesome mm-hmm, gig. Mm-hmm. But those stones, so every, so every night after the show, I would run off the stage, get in my car and fix in the car. <laughs> wow. That quick. Yeah. So that's why I wasn't in the, the Stones photo. Yeah. <laughs> How rock and roll is Slash <laughs> that you were so rock and roll you didn't show up for the picture with the Stones. <laughs> with the Stones. No, it's not how rock and roll is. How about Yeah. How crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I, you mentioned being you know, in, this, in this haze and not realizing how big Guns N' Roses was. Did, did you realize it? You know, in the early '90s, with huge illusion, like well, you guys were the biggest band in the world. I mean, for, how is that for for you? It was, it was, uh, it would. You know, I think the 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 key thing was we did some South American shows d- while we were doing these illusions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think uh, Rio and Argentina. I'm not sure which 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 countries they were, but um, and in a stadium headlining you know and that was that was really a big sort of eye-opener and then we went straight from there to designing a headlining set to go out and start this headlining tour which started in chicago i remember which was also stadium right yeah it was a yeah it was well i don't know if it was a stadium it was a big outdoor venue. it was leading to the stadium. whatever it was yeah and and all of a sudden everything just went into really high gear you know like the kind of high gear that you sort of marveled at when you were a kid reading rock magazines mm-hmm. and looking at guys like the stones and aerosmith and mm-hmm. that whole thing um and you know for me it was it was always about just i loved when we were playing theaters and we were headlining and we were just this raunchy mm-hmm. you know band like that live was, at the ritz that was the level <laughs> that i was really comfortable of i didn't have any ambitions to be really massive you know like you too big or anything right. like that um, or stones big yeah or stones yeah, right. big yeah and so so all of a sudden we just arrived at that point and it was all moving so quickly that it was almost you know, my head was spinning you know but it was it was fun i mean we go out and play in front of these huge audiences and again we were just talking about a garage band with a couple amps and going out there and like this sea of people reacting to any one of mm-hmm. our songs so it was really cool but i think a lot of the the band itself as a whole was was a mess <laughs> you know it was it was a pretty crazy it was very rock and roll looking back on it but uh at the time living it it was it was total mayhem yeah. mm-hmm. do you look back at those times and like like because like, that's a pretty amazing thing i mean mm-hmm. it, it became the biggest band in the planet like mm-hmm. that how many bands can you say that 10 20 mm-hmm. you know i mean it's a pretty amazing thing that you guys accomplished you look back and go like i was pretty uh well pretty good time yeah i mean i think uh, more than anything i was just proud of uh you know guns N' roses was was not designed or tailor-made for superstardom mm. you know very very volatile very sort of street savvy but not really uh, a little rough around the ed- edges kind of a sort of band um and then you know succeeding on our own merit without ever uh conforming to mm. what everybody else did to try and become 
yeah you know big. popular you right know? and so we sort of did it you know our own rules you know we forced mm -hmm. it through and we actually succeeded at it so i was always very proud of that but uh and then all of a sudden to be playing stadiums the the thing that was always weird for me it was great to have achieved that but it was it was a bittersweet kind of a thing as well because the band had crossed over to the point where you know, a lot of what I thought was really cool about, about the band where it had its core audience, mm -hmm. which was very hardcore. Um, and it just had this really sort of cool thing, sort of like what I would think about Motorhead, you know, mm -hmm. where it's just, it's got its audience and it does its thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden being so acceptable, you know, on so many levels and, you know, reaching this very broad audience. And even to this day, you know, seeing people walking around with Guns N' Roses shirts that don't know what Guns N' Roses yeah, 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 necessarily yeah. is. It's just because it's cool, like yeah. Motorhead or Ramones. Yeah, yeah. So right? I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, like uh, knocking it. But at the same time, it was a really weird thing for me to sort of like try and comprehend exactly mm. what that was all about. It becomes big business and a corporation, yeah. not just the rock and roll band. Anymore, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Do you ever think like, uh, and not even about a reunion or anything, but just the fact that if you guys did a show, just one show, and you could play a stadium. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, how many rock bands play stadiums now? You two? ACDC. Springsteen, ACDC. You know, Metallica mm -hmm. or Maiden if they're in Finland. Mm -hmm. Metallica's but, pretty, pretty... Metallica could do, you know, the big four, they did yeah, stadiums. Yeah, yeah. You know, they could do it with the right thing, yeah. or even if it's just Metallica live, whatever. But then it's, you know, Taylor Swift, and it's One Direction, and it's, you know, Luke Bryan, and it's all that sort of thing. Do you ever think, like, do you ever miss playing a stadium and go, man, like, just being a musician and being being you, you're mm. a lot like me. Like you said, I want to be the best horror movie producer. I want to mm. be the best guitar player. Do you ever think, like, I want to do it just one more time because we can. We can play a stadium and not hardly anybody can. I'm too stubborn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get to, I, I go out and we do festivals and stuff like that, and those are big festivals. Huge. I love doing them, but mm. I only like to do them you know, like like uh, they're in the summertime in Europe and on occasion in a couple other different places. But I love playing in the yeah, like we just start. We're going to be playing arenas. Now, I know. I was right? going to bring sort of like, OK, well, let's yeah. slow down. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I appreciate the fact that we can fill, uh, you know, hopefully fill an arena. But at the same time, I love that sort of intimacy of playing in front of an audience that I can see. And I, mm. even though I don't look, I can feel them. <laughs> um, you can hear I, them. That, that automatic that 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 millisecond between right. hitting a note and then you know that the reaction that, yeah. yeah it's 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 uh something about stadiums even if the whole place loves the song there's a disconnect that that happens and so it's great to be able to do it but to to do it every single day and that's all you ever do it's a little it's sort of like living in a weird sort of un, a surrealistic bubble mm -hmm. you know yeah so and even too, like if someone said, if you could do one show, but even that's a whole can of worms because just to get together for one show, how much? Oh, it's a whole production. Yeah, yeah I mean, right? it's expensive. Yeah, but even just getting it, getting there. Oh, you're talking about like, well, I'm just know. saying, you know, like let's say they said Slash Guns N' Roses one last show in yeah, you know, that's, LA that's Stadium. That's a bigger. That's a bigger thing because that's uh, it's really up to five guys to really sort of be on the same page and want to do that. And that's just something that hasn't really been discussed because nobody's really into doing it. Cause that's even the thing. Yeah. So know, we would have to have the original yeah, there, five and it has, and it has to be, it has to be uh, a, a band decision more or less. So, uh, 
you know, there's all this talk and reunion and this and that and the other, and that's everybody else in the world trying to figure out what our future is going to be. <laughs> you know, usually, I mean, all things considered, it's a lot of people with a lot of money making all the offers. But the most key thing uh, about any of that before any of that stuff is even discussed is where the band really gets together and goes, hey, you know, between us, we'd really like to get together Can and play. And we haven't even been in the same room. I haven't talked to Axel since 1996. Mm -hmm. So let's stop jumping to conclusions. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And that's why I wasn't asking the cliche question. No, I was just no, wondering, just like, saying, knowing, the, well, sure, yeah, of course, yeah. but just knowing that you could and knowing how rock and roll is now mm. with the stadium available. You know, yeah. but it, no, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, you can't, you can't uh, deny feeling good about having that we could do the, it you know to that you could just go yeah. and do that you know? that's pretty cool yeah have you heard sling tv offers the news you love for less hey wait you look and sound just like me i am you i'm the same news programs on sling tv for less you mean you're me but for less money a lot less i'm all the favorite news programs and more on sling tv starting at just 40 dollars a month everything great about me but for less money which makes me greater don't you think Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You're listening to Talk is Jericho. I'm here talking to Slash in his very own house. Now, you and Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators are doing an arena tour of Europe. You guys are playing Wembley in London on December 2nd. It's Wembley Arena. That's the sign that you've made it in the UK. I, I, all things considered, I remember, I remember Guns playing the first Wembley game. Wow, yeah. yeah. So. And, it's, you know, it, it, we've... We've we've wrestled there before, and it's just an arena. It's cool, but mm. it's Wembley. Yeah. Yeah, it says Wembley. Well, there there is a there is that sort of like uh, in a name. Mm -hmm. You know, there's those sure. venues. For me, it's 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 the Forum in L.A. Um, there is yeah, Wembley is one of them. I mean, do Download has always been that's a great one. I played I played Download in I think four times in four separate bands. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if anybody else can say that. Yeah. So it was eight, Guns N' Roses, I know it was 88. Guns N' Roses, Snake Pit, Velvet Revolver, and Oh, and so you didn't say it too. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so there's there's particular venues all over the world where they, there's a certain... Uh, the Garden. Yeah, the Garden. Reputation yeah, and the vibe. I mean, I, History. I, I feel bad not mentioning the name of every single one of them, but all around the planet, you know, in, in Argentina, it's, it's River Plate. You know, there's all these, and they have this prestige. You know, so yeah, there's definitely that that kind of. So are you excited? I mean, this is the biggest gigs that you've played as as Slash and the Conspirators. I'm I'm excited. I haven't even really thought about that aspect of it. I'm mm -hmm. more right now. We start rehearsing tomorrow. I don't know when this is going to air, but yeah, we yeah. start rehearsing tomorrow, and then uh, and so I'm like going trying to figure out for the first set that we're going to do in Ireland, what the set's going to be, <laughs> you know, I haven't, I'm going to sit down and focus on it. Cause now there's all this new material, which I'm excited about doing, how, but do how much of it, yeah. how do you choose a set now? Well, you have, you have, uh, you know, a couple standards, you know, I'm going to, uh, I don't plan on taking night train out, you know, mm -hmm. um, sweet child of mine is one of those that you can take out depending on a venue. Or like really, if you're, if you're playing like, uh, a full-on fast-paced heavy metal thing you can take it out and people don't miss it i've really? done okay. i've done that before where you know and it, it, if it's like a festival or something where you got yeah, 45 yeah, minutes yeah 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 we're playing in between slayer and which happens sometimes you get slayer, oh no we did yeah, slayer yeah. mastodon yeah, and yeah. slash in the middle or something yeah. Yeah. it's hard to play sweet child of mine in the midst of that <laughs> but uh there's some standards in set paradise city and there's uh uh Anastasia, um, 
uh, You're a Lie, you know, there's songs that we'll always play. And so you, we interchange everything else. And so I just sit down with the, I, I get one set list together for the first show. And then the next day, take that same set list and scratch that songs yeah. and put other songs in there. And it just turns into a thing you do every day. Are all your songs in the same tuning? No. Uh, well, they used to be, we used to be in standard and E flat. Mm-hmm which is a real pain in the ass. Um, so now we've managed to keep everything at E flat. And uh, the only thing I have to worry about tuning wise is like if there's open tuning or gotcha. something like that. But at least I'm not like switching guitar because you, your ear, the transition from E to E flat from song, like from one song to the next, mm-hmm. you, all of a sudden everything sounds really weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. One thing with Fozzie is that Rich Ward, our guitar player, he writes the songs, uh, always in different tunings. Mm. So when I put together the set, I got asked, what tunings are these songs? What tunings? So try and group them together so it's not change guitar, change guitar, yeah, change yeah, guitar. Because yeah. you want to keep the flow too as the front man. I don't want to have to wait you know, two minutes while they're tuning and stuff. So yeah. that's something that that's, drives that's me crazy. A, that's, a, that's another, you're, you're spot on. Maybe it's just doing an interview with somebody else who plays. Because yeah. um, that's a big one. It's like, okay, the first four songs are one guitar. Mm-hmm. And then if there's going to be a switch, it has to be after that many Three, right, at least three songs, just to keep the whole sure momentum. keep the flow. And we know how to switch guitars really fast. And my guitar tech, it's got the worst job in the world because I'm on him like crazy. <laughs> um, and and it's got to be in tune too. Don't give me an out of tune guitar. I'll go. That's <laughs> right. Nothing worse. <laughs> Nothing anyway, worse. So so Ace is Ace has got a very tough job. But so I I do like three or four songs. And then switch, and then uh, at least two or three before the next switch. Mm-hmm. So the songs have to work out in the same tuning to, to be, you know, to be lo- looped yeah. together. And, and, and together. sometimes I switch guitars just sound wise, you know. Right. right, right. So I, I'm very we we write on the set list all the changes and what guitars are changing mm-hmm. to. And all that. How many how many GNR songs do you include in your headline set? Um, do you say like I'll do four tonight, or do you just go with the flow, or do you have to put a certain amount in there? Well, it's 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 actually it's it's gotten less and less, mm-hmm. um, depending like from when we first started uh, to at this point. I think we we do like let's see, Night Train. We've been playing You Can Be Mine at mm-hmm. this point. Um, we might do Brownstone. We might not do Brownstone. Paradise City and Sweet Child of Mine. Those are the main four. Those are the songs, ones, yeah. yeah. And then you know like. Uh, Todd sings You're Crazy or Out to Get Me. Mm-hmm. And so to give Miles a break, Todd will go up and sing one of those two songs and the Lemmy song. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? So there's a, there's a lot of Guns material in there. It's, it's, I didn't play any of it for years. And so when we started doing this, like, let's do the whole catalog thing, mm-hmm. um, it was a real shot in the arm for me to go back and play some songs that, that I hadn't played in a really long time. Do you have to go and time. kind of relearn them? I, well, I try not to do that. But I'll, <laughs> I'll go into rehearsal, and if I make everybody sit around for too long where I'm just staring at my guitar, and then I'll go and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, my favorite GNR song that, that probably will never get played, I don't know if you ever played, did you ever do Locomotive? We, we did do Locomotive. Um, with GNR? Or in with GNR, band? not in our band. Um, Such a, once again, that's a slimy riff. Yeah, it's a Very cool riff. Slimy. It's a cool Great song, groove, but it's man. it's there's a lot of words per minute, mm-hmm. and I think it was just too hard to basically sing and breathe at the same yeah, time. Yeah. There's certain songs you can do in the studio. Yeah, yeah. that you can't ever bust out live. Yeah, it's just you know? it's 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 too taxing. So we played it a few times, but it just didn't really manage to stay in the set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, before we wrap up, I want to talk to you. It would be remiss without talking about our other favorite subject, which is dinosaurs. dinosaurs yeah. I know, dinosaurs. Finally, you've been waiting for that. Sorry. Uh, what is your fascination with dinosaurs? That, Same as horror movies? That came early on. Like, uh, when I was in England, um, I'm not sure the first 
thing I saw that was dinosaur related. But we used to take the train from Stoke into London and go to the Natural History Museum in London, which is one of the great European uh, natural history museums. museums. And I just was in love with dinosaurs. And I learned all their, you know, like most yeah, kids, yeah. learned all their names. But there was a, a cool place in London called Crystal Palace, which is where, um, uh, which one is it, Marsh or... The, the the guys who first really discovered dinosaurs, mm -hmm. and and uh, so what they did was they found their first real dinosaur uh, skeletons. So they had megalodon, uh, there was iguanodon, there was a sort of ichthyosaurs, and this and that and the other. And so their first um, attempts at reconstructing these skeletons were all anatomically correct incorrect rather. incorrect right so what they did is they built life-size statues in their natural habitat of these animals with trees and coming out of the water and this and that and the other and they had a big banquet inside their depiction uh their interpretation i guess of an iguanodon as a four <laughs> four-legged with a horn on his nose You're right they messed and, it up and inside the body they'd carved out and they all sat inside there right and had this banquet and it was over the discoveries and this and that well crystal palace is this park it's all still there and so you can walk around so i used to go in there and just like you know so, trip yeah. out you should check it out you know, i've, I've never heard of that one before yeah it's crystal palace uh it's it's on the east end of london okay yeah, and they still have the giant. Oh, it's all in there except for the banquet thing, <laughs> but all the all, you know in the foliage and and everything. It's all these. What is the one that's at the uh, New York History Museum of Natural Sue? History? Is it that, now that's Sue? Yeah, yeah. Now tell us about the story of Sue. This is something that I didn't even know much about, and you kind of uh, you um, kind of hit me up on it. Well, okay, Sue was discovered, and I, you know I don't want to say it, get the details wrong, so I'll just sort of do an overview. Yeah, for any paleontologists listening, <laughs> yeah. But Sue was discovered, I think, and I I want to say it was in arkansas but i could be wrong but anyway they found this dinosaur and it turned out to be this the biggest t-rex ever found they unearthed they did all the work got this thing pulled out it's in pretty much complete you know t-rex and then the government said no it's not your it's not yours you can't have it mm -hmm. and they confiscated every wow. bone and they took it and then it went up for auction but and why because it's part of the, of the land well, yeah the i guess the because land? the government owns the land you know wow. so so it was a really sad story it was on the news and there mm -hmm. was especially local news i mean there was tons of footage on it um, archaeologist was or paleontologist was sue so yeah it was, like it was a, her it was name a girl. was sue yeah and she found this entire thing yeah every yeah, bone yeah, yeah. And they took it from her so great a great story and this was in the 90s if i remember correctly and so so they confiscated it and it was all sitting in these big huge boxes in a warehouse for years and then finally there was the auction and natural history museum new york american natural mm -hmm. history museum bought it and mounted it and so it's, it's up there, there and it's huge too. and they have the real scale real skeleton on display in its own because the head is too heavy to display oh, on, on the body okay so they have it in a case and then they have uh they have a cast of the, the yeah, entire yeah. dinosaur it's really pretty cool so, so what are your favorite dinosaurs my favorite well okay one of the ones that we were talking about recently because it's so exciting for me they just uh you know the spinosaurus story mm -hmm. and you know the original bones that, that were found in uh in the desert uh, Mongolia or something okay. like that. I don't know. Anyway, so they, uh, this German paleontologist found these bones of this unique dinosaur, and he brought them back to the Natural History Museum in, in Berlin. 
and we had World War II, and there was a bombing raids, Allied bombing raids, and destroyed everything. And all there was was his notes and his oh, drawings. Wow. So Spinosaurus, as we knew it for years and years and years, was a uh, which is the toughest dinosaur, by the way? Crazier yeah, yeah. than a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, well, well, you know, well, okay, I'll, I'll get into it. Then. <laughs> so when they the 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 recreation of it was this the, bigger than a T Rex, and obviously with the big spine, had sort of a baryonyx type alligator snout and so on, but they still had it standing on two big solid hind legs because they hadn't seen any legs mm-hmm, whatsoever, mm-hmm. and they had the forearms and the big claws and all that kind of stuff. Well, recently they. Uh, Another paleontologist researched this and uh, had heard about some bones that had been picked up by um, one of those guys that out there, and they sort of find stuff and sell it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. scavenger, scavenger, yeah. And so <laughs> tracked this guy down, and he led him to the site, and so they found oh, wow. a more complete version of of Spinosaurus. And now it turns out that it was primarily aquatic. That really? the, the legs uh, actually, instead of, I mean, he could walk on all fours and it could stand up, but it was really designed for being in the water. So now it's taken on a whole new look. So yeah, it's like a whole that, new uh, yeah. story behind it now. And then uh, Dinocaris, you know those huge arms that we've uh-huh, been seeing for uh-huh. years with the long claws, but that's all they are? Well, they've finally found the rest of that skeleton. So that's a big one. Phil Curry and in a Tyrell Museum in Canada, mm-hmm. right, has now, I don't know how much of the skeleton, complete skeleton they have, but uh, it's a big, huge plant eater, and it's really strange looking. And if you see uh, the the computer graphics, that what do they call that, the recreation? Yeah, like, sure, sure. Uh, of it walking, it's 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 like something out of a uh, a kid's fairy tale, like a big lumbering. Really? And this is kind of a new a new species? It, or yeah, yeah. New, new well, they just had, they just had, uh, um, it's got this dorky sort of turkey head, and mm-hmm. and all we had were these really long, like six foot long arms with these massive claws on it. And you know the Thizinosaur, mm-hmm. right? It was sort sort of along those lines where it's got these big sort of meat eater look looking hands, and then it's got this small sort of beaked face as a plant eater, and then it, it's a bit like it's a. a, a a concoction made up of all these different dinosaurs. Yeah, so it's like a platypus or something. Yeah, yeah, Frankenstein <laughs> but so, yeah, so favorite dinosaurs. So Spinosaurus, uh, Deinonychus was always a favorite of mine, so I always have to give it credit. <laughs> um, Demetrodon. What's yeah. the Demetrodon? Demetrodon is a, a primitive, it's really a primitive uh, mammal. Um, it is from the Permian per- period, and it was... Uh, Basically, it's got the huge sail on its back. And there was two. There was a Daphosaurus and there was a Demetrodon. <laughs> one was a meat eater and one was a plant eater. And uh, this was before dinosaurs even existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd have to show you a picture. But it's, it's, it's very lizard-like. It's on squat legs, but mm-hmm. it's got a million head. And, uh, and it's, it's a thecodont, so it's got, like, um, uh, incisors up here and chewing teeth in the back and... <laughs> yeah, you, you like you really you know all of your uh, all of your stuff because I was yeah. always fixated on certain ones. Like, I love Allosaurus, I love Stegosaurus, I love Plesiosaurus. We talked mm-hmm. about the Loch Ness monster. I have some opinion. more pictures of those which, of the of the Plesiosaurus, uh, Plesiosaurus and Mosasaurus. The Mosasaurus and, yeah. is the one that that was cool. Yeah. The Ichthyosaurus yeah. is cool too. 
But um, whenever you see those, it means I put them up for you. I was actually going to okay. put your name on the thing. <laughs> and I thought, no, that'll be corny. I'll look it yeah, he knows this for him. That's the secret message. Thank you. <laughs> now, did you ever, you know, the story of the coelacanth, right? Mm -hmm. About, I mean, that's just blows my mind too. I talk about actually, my son is he's eleven, but he's a total fish fanatic, mm -hmm. uh, crazy fish expert. He was, I mean, I knew the the, the uh, when I was a kid, but he's been telling me that there was actually found like ten or twelve of them over the years. Yeah. That blew my mind that there was a prehistoric creature. That still imagine those survived. guys on the fishing boat. That's what, what I mean. In Africa pulling this this huge yeah uh, gruesome fish up and going. What, what is, is this? this? Right, yeah. and people going. This is a prehistoric animal. Yeah. There's there's one on display uh, preserved uh, at the Natural History Museum here in Los Angeles. Oh really? Have you been to the museum here? No, I haven't. It used to be one of the worst natural history museums in the country. And then they just renovated it and did this whole addition thing hmm. to it. Now it's like this amazing dinosaur location. Okay. So you should check it out. I, I was looking up a couple just to see. Have you ever heard of the Majungasaurus? I have heard of the Majungasaurus. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It is, it is a sauropod. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> and, it's, and it's massive, and it's from China. It's kind of a cannibal. Yeah. It eats other dinosaurs. Is what it was saying. Oh no! Yeah, I didn't that know was that. the one. But the other thing too is this was a this was a good one. Did you ever hear about the Trodon? Or yeah, the, with a big brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go through. Do you know what Excaliburosaurus is? No. That's a swordfish. Oh. A prehistoric prehistoric swordfish. Is it really called? It's called the Excaliburosaurus. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about the Chronosaurus? I do know what that is. It's crazy. I'm trying to think you know of what it, it looks like. I know the name. I know the it's name. It's a water beast. Yeah. And then have you ever heard the Sarcosuchus? Well, let me see. Let me see it on. It's like a giant yeah. crocodile. Yeah. Thing. That's a, all the sucuses are, are uh, uh, crocodilians. Okay. Yeah. Like Photosuchus, uh, Phytosuchus, they're, they're sort of, they're like uh, primitive crocodiles, but they're still look like big lizards. And so all those, they all have uh, crocodilian ancestors okay see i never i'd never heard of that before the sarcus like like i said to me i always like the the plesiosaur the allosaurus i love the uh the triceratops because it just looks yeah. so weird with the big you know all the ceratopsians are awesome. yeah they all look very there, strange there's a ceratopsian skull you know um in all these museums they've got all these they've got warehouses full of bones that they haven't really put together yet or matched with other things and so sometimes you can come up with a new discovery and it's just some bones that have been laying around for like 40 years that they put together and went, oh my god right and they all of a sudden there's well there's a there's a um a ceratops you know, i can't remember what it's called and it hasn't been shown yet but it's 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 at the uh, I don't know if I should supposed to say it, but it's at the museum <laughs> over there, and it's and I, I saw it and it's just in the warehouse and and they haven't they haven't uh, you know yeah, built it, it announced assembled it, yeah. it announced yeah. it okay. Do you go to these places when you're on the road if you have a day off and yeah. try and find a museum? Yeah, it's it's the one because I don't do much when I'm on the road. It's like we have very little time off. So if you find for me, if there's a museum within 45 hours drive and I've never been there, it's mm -hmm. like, OK, we got to go over there and I'll drag some of the guys with me and, <laughs> you know, sort of trip them around the whole thing. And all the museums have. Uh, uh, storehouses filled with years and years of collections that don't go on display until 
uh, you know, there's some reason to display mm-hmm. it, you mm-hmm. know, and it has to be named and it has to be identified and all that kind of stuff. So it's so a you get real to see trip. like the behind the scenes. Yeah, tour. yeah. So I, I'm paying the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Does that freak people out when Slash is here? He says he knows about dinosaurs. I don't. I don't know if it, if it freaks people out. Um, I think for a lot of them, the fact that I'm just that passionate about mm-hmm. it, because I, you know, it's sort of a nerdy thing. You don't get a lot of people going. Well, absolutely. You know, little kids and and older nerds. You know? Yeah, so I'm one of them. <laughs> I, me- well, I remember the one text was like, "What's your favorite dinosaur and you told me and I said I told you mine I was like we're a couple losers right and, and we're texting debating about debating yeah. like what dinosaur is better but I've never met anybody that liked dinosaurs as much as I do until mm. I met you and you know way more than I do I had to up my game to there's, try and keep up with you there's so much like one of those dinosaurs that you mentioned um, there's so much new stuff I can't even keep up with it mm. you know I mean there's there's got to be a couple dozen flying reptiles from China that are all winged that I can't even remember the names of anymore. Um, and they're, they're constantly coming out. There was that new sauropod that they found, mm-hmm. which the name is actually pretty easy, but I can't remember it now. And that's the thing. I guess after a while, your retention for dinosaur names starts to go away. It's like a glass. <laughs> and you pour it up to the top, and then you only got so much room yeah, for dinosaur yeah. names. But, I mean, there's all these really, really cool stuff. So I, I try to keep up with it, but... Uh, um, you know, I'm aware of it, but I, I can't always place the name. That. You can't subscribe to like Dinosaur Monthly. Well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple sites that I follow. I've got a friend over at at uh, um, Calgary University named Darla, yes. who's a paleontologist. Named Carla. Darla. Darla. And she sends me stuff all the time. Oh. And she sends me like where you look at it, and go, I don't know if I want to know they're that bad. <laughs> I mean, this is like you know scientists. <laughs> well, I was going to say that because yeah. outside of Calgary, there's a town called Drumheller, which is Drumheller. actually which was the home of Nickelback. Right. But there's I did not know. Yeah, that. they're from that area. There's tons. That's sort of a dinosaur type name. I Nickelback. Get, yeah, could Nickelback. Be like, yeah. The Nickelbackosaurus. <laughs> yeah. But there's tons of uh, of excavations yeah, that. And and that's where Tyrell Museum is. Okay. Which is, oh, that's is right that great. There. Yeah, you should check that out too. It's really, really cool. Like, I will. It's yeah. it's only dinosaurs. Okay. It's a whole museum devoted and that's where I saw that thing. What do you think uh, the uh, why they are extinct? Because I have a theory that might this different from. Um, well, I mean, you know, I don't profess to know any more than anybody else, but you know, I mean, I think I think the asteroid, you know, had a huge impact. But I think literally, yeah, <laughs> as I was saying it, I realized it, <laughs> but, um, you know, there was, it's, it's widely known and, and it's fact that dinosaurs were dying out prior to that. Really? Yeah. But the Cretaceous period also, um, introduced all kinds of new plants. Mm-hmm. It also was where the continents started to separate and take different form and, um, you know, there was a lot of land bridges and this and that where you could have uh, really transferred a lot of diseases and this and that and the other. And there could have been a virus mm-hmm. that took them out along with all the other, you know, real drastic stuff that was going on, um, you know, as far as the, the, the asteroid was concerned and mm-hmm. other dynamics. Uh, global changes that were happening at the time. But I think the introduction of flowering plants and stuff like that might have killed off the herbivores, which in turn killed off the, 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 the carnivores. carnivores. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the theory of the Nigrosaurus? Mm. This is a fairly new one I just uh, discovered. I guess about a year or two years ago. You should Google it. Niger, like Nigeria. Uh, yeah, Saurus. and that's that's a new discovery, a dinosaur that's recent. Fairly yeah. new. And what yeah. they're saying is that these guys were like, uh, they were smaller, mm. and they were like, uh, they would suck up plant life they were like lawn like lawnmowers oh is that the one with the big wide scoop yes that would just yeah. scoop like it wouldn't even chew it would yeah. just suck up all 
the plants and, and grass, and they were saying that that could have contributed too because all the food was gone for the herbivores, yeah. which when they died killed the carnivores because all the food was eaten by these little vacuum cleaner it's, guys. It could have happened. The I mean, there's so many. You, you know, don't know for sure, right? Yeah, and it, there's so many th- uh, possibilities, and there's so many theories. And it's funny because you listen to scientists talk, and these are really, really schooled individuals that live and breathe this stuff, and they all come up with theories that you can always, you find holes in, and you, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they go out and they make these papers and they put them out and they're scrutinized by the community, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, and it makes you really realize, how, you know, how, how, how far off it is to really find the answer sure. to that. But it was you know? 65 but to 200 million years I love that you brought ago. that dinosaur. See, there, there you go, but I, I've seen, it's one of the handful of what they call freak dinosaurs where it's mm-hmm. got this this jaw that that is like i don't know how, what is this two feet wide yeah and it's re- basically a scooping thing like your pumpkin a, carver or something yeah <laughs> yeah and not even chewing just like yeah, boom, yeah. Boom, boom. Uh, last question you've done so many guest appearances over the years i just wanted to ask you who is your favorite uh, guy that you ever played with that you did a, a guest appearance with i mean i know you did I, so many, but I've been asked that. That's uh, let me see if I mean because they've all been uniquely different and so really cool in their own. Is there a few that way. stand out? Um, well, you know, obviously jamming. Like, okay, are you talking about on stage or in the, either or in the, in the studio. studio? In the studio, for me, it was playing with Ray Charles. Wow, that was that was when I in two thousand one. That's killer. He, uh, I got a phone call from his engineer. I just got married. I was in Hawaii and I was supposed to be on my honeymoon. I get this phone call, honey, we got to go. And I went back to LA and went <laughs> really? to the Really? You had to cut your honeymoon short. Yeah. When Ray don't calls. Don't bring it up when she's around. I won't. Um, so, so, uh, I went to the studio and worked on a song, uh, on Ray's last studio record that was an original record. Mm-hmm. Or because I know he did a covers record right after that that I played on as well. But then working with him and sort of, hanging out with him and he sort of took me under his wing. I have no mm-hmm. idea why, you know, he didn't know who I was. He only his engineer did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he was really, really cool. And, and that was a great experience for me. And it was sort of gave me the shot in the arm that I needed to get back into it. Cause I got really sick for a period. Mm-hmm. I had alcohol poisoning okay. and almost died. And then, so when I came out of that, I was like, I'd broken up snake pit and I was like, okay, now what am I going to do? <laughs> and, uh, and that sort of, sort of got me going. And then he passed, which was sad, but I got to work on that movie cool. and work with his oh, band and jam with him. Yeah. So that was cool. So that was a good one. Um, uh, another one was working with Lenny Kravitz, you know, Classic. he was just awesome. And Iggy pop right around, around the same time. Those two guys were great. Uh, jamming with Aerosmith recently, just, that you know, cool. playing so with them. You do? Uh, it's, it's always mom and kid. Cause they know I know, it. <laughs> you know, they are like, there's so many other Aerosmith songs I could play. You know? <laughs> uh, train kids rolling sometimes, but, uh, playing with those guys, uh, in Boston, um, wow, hometown. Yeah, that was that was a good one. How about the, the Super Bowl somewhere. with Michael? Oh well, that with, that was wasn't the Super Bowl. Bowl. No, what that was, was it? I did a bunch of gigs with Michael. Super Bowl was with Black Eyed Peas, which was cool. The studded yeah, top hat. Well, it, it was it was a fun gig. It was a uh, an experience because there's so many moving parts going into one of those Super Bowl performances mm-hmm. and actually experiencing and watching it happen in real time and actually being part of it. It's I mean because you only have so many minutes in between. And the changeover must be a nightmare because oh, it's like yeah. five minutes, ten minutes. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, so that was a definitely fun experience, and I love Fergie and, and Will Will I Am and all mm. that. But uh, working with Michael, that's another one. Um, 
Michael was was one of those phone calls that came literally out of the blue. And it was such a contrast because I was in a hotel room. I was at the Riot House on Sunset. I was with some girl. <laughs> I had the shades drawn and we were doing our thing. And the phone rings and it's my manager. And he goes, Michael Jackson wants to talk to you. <laughs> and it was like, huh? You know? And so so I, I went and played on his record. He gave me free reign in the studio. And you played whatever. Black or White? I played, well, I played a song called Give In To Me. That's the one okay. I really played on. Black or White and some fans get mad at me because I, the song itself, I didn't play. The oh, okay. intro to the song I played, which is something else entirely that they like the little on. talking thing with yeah, the, the, all okay. the noisy guitar yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. But uh, we went on from there and ended up doing a bunch of shows in Japan and Germany and Los Angeles and New York and like all. And he was just like he just let me do my trip and then he did his trip and so the rest did he just of invite you say hey I got a show in you know New York yeah. come play with me yeah I'm playing in I'm playing in this crazy little town in Italy come on out fly you out and go up and and and, and jam you know and I I play I play the the uh, beat it and I play give in to me and I'd play, uh, uh, or no, not given to me, black or white. Black so or I ended yeah. up live playing it with him all the time. But because he always liked having a, a hot guitar player, when you look, you know, like you said, beat it or Dirty Diana, or yeah. you know, he always liked having that rock element there. Well, you know, I think there's something like when I when when he did the the beat it thing, uh, that was a Quincy Jones call, right? Mm. But then I think everybody picked up on that, and so he got Steve Stevens to do Dirty. Right. When he called me up. Um, I think he was just ex toying with the idea of doing it again, Do doing that kind of thing on this next record. But when we played live, I think his big thing is he just thought I was such a whack-looking character to have <laughs> up there, <laughs> you know? Because he, re he really, I remember one time he's like, I showed up and he said, where's the top hat? And I said, I didn't bring it. He goes, oh, you need the top hat, you know? <laughs> It's part of your gimmick, man. Yeah, but he was very, very cool and and an interesting guy to hang out with because he was really just a really sweet, very talented guy in the midst of this. I mean, he you know he loved his very much a perfectionist as mm -hmm. far as the production and the entertainment like aspect of what he was doing, like what people were seeing. He mm -hmm. was he was very keen on every detail of what the show was and all that. But he was such an institution and had so many people working around him. And he, he you know he was a really like at that time Guns was pretty much as big as it, it was getting. It was you know it had gotten as big as it was get, going to get. Um, and it wasn't a quarter of the sort That's right, of, yeah. you know, That's reality a different level. that, yeah. And it was, it was scary and in some ways sort of sad to mm -hmm. watch him sort of, it was very much alone and 45 people around him at any given time and not one person that he could honestly trust. Right. That one, yeah. A bunch of yes men yeah, yeah, surrounded yeah. him. Did you ever like hang out with him at all? Or yeah, no, we used to hang out all the time. That was that that's was cool because that's why I got to really sort of know him and then see the contrast between his personality and the 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 massive circus that was going mm -hmm. on around him. Mm -hmm. you know? And the only thing he seemed really dialed into was himself and the 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 uh, what do you call it the the dancers. The choreography, choreography. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah. And and just the production of what people were seeing, you know, like, sure. the, you know, like what the beats were and where 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 the flash pot was going to go. Yeah, and, yeah. Kind of, experience and the rest of it was just like do your job, but I don't know what you're doing because there's 80 of you and. Last question, last question, last question. Where'd you get the name Slash? From. Uh, Seymour, do you know who Seymour Casella is? Is no. an actor. Okay. You know John uh, Cassavetes is yeah. right. Well, there was John Cassavetes was sort of like this. Uh, 
big time director. Yeah, I was a director, but he's also an actor. Yeah. And there was a whole crew. It was uh, Seymour Cassell, Ben Gazzara, John Cassavetes, and a couple other people that were sort of like, like, uh, they were sort of against the grain mm-hmm. in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. They were all tough guys and, you know, sort of rough around the edges and drinkers and, you know. <laughs> and so Seymour's kid was my best friend when we were in high school. And so we used to ditch school and hang out at Seymour's house. And as long as we pruned all the pot plants and <laughs> did some chores, we could hang out there and smoke pot all day. And, you know, I'd play my guitar there all day and, uh-huh. and we'd party and this and that. And, uh, you know, I had a band going at the time, and so I was always scheming on the next thing I was going to do, and I was always in a hurry, and I could never, like, stop and talk. I would always be on the go, mm-hmm. you know? It's like I was always talking to my back, so he used to just call me Slash. You know? <laughs> He's like a slashing guy. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it just became it became a nickname that stuck through high school. and it became your name. Yeah, so. When I pulled up at the gate, I was like, uh, like asking me, who, who are you here to see? And I was like... Do I even say his real name? I'm here to see Slash. All right. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much, man. Thanks for having no, me man, over. It's and, great. Uh, you came down great here. Great conversation, man. Yeah, Absolutely. So much fun. I've been looking forward to this. So I, I was, you know, because we t- text so much. So I know. I like to actually see you for a change. Would be I nice. know. It's actually cool to know that we're actually people. Yeah, yeah, In this yeah. day and age, it's all about the texting, but actually having a conversation, nothing, yeah. nothing beats it. So thanks, man. All right. Thank you. All right, I want to thank Slash, my boy, Slashy, for being here. Great conversation. Once again, Slash said it was one of the favorite interviews he's ever done in his entire career, which is a huge feather, uh, pat in the back for me, feather in the cap, feather in the back, pat on the, pat on the, pat on the ass. So many great things, so many cliches. Hey, listen, if you want to see Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators on the road, you need to go check them out live. One of the best live bands I've seen. Super tight, and of course, Slash is such an amazing guitar player. They're in Munich, Germany on Saturday, Cologne on Sunday, Amsterdam on Monday, November 24th, Brussels on the 26th, Manchester, England on the 28th, Leeds on the 29th, Birmingham December 1st, and playing the famous Wembley Arena in London on December 2nd, Glasgow on the 4th, and they wrap up their European tour on December 6th in Reykjavik, Iceland. These are all arena shows. That's how big Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators have gotten. Congratulations, couldn't happen to a better group of guys and if you haven't already checked out slash's new record world on fire with miles kennedy and the conspirators you need to it's a great record i think it's the best thing slash has done since guns and roses and i have all of his records and you know where the best place is to get it right huh amazon using the talk is jericho links and i know you know how to find them go to podcastone.com click on the keep our podcast free banner at the top of the page then click on talk is jericho you see all three of my amazon links in the uk the usa and canada a every time you do that amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week no extra fees or hidden challenges you're just getting your shopping done you help me on the process christmas is coming man you need a place to go to buy all your presents Amazon is the way to do it and do it through our Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page, the Chris Jericho Talk is Jericho banner. Help us all out. Get your presence. Make us happy. Everybody wins. Speaking of winning, although we're finished, the slash show is done. We're finished for this week. But in the meantime, and in between time, it's another another great edition of Talk is Jericho is finished. I want you to stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. And next Wednesday, I got the hottest heel in the business today on the show yeah that's right Seth Rollins is going to be here who's bringing you the best guests huh I mean come on who's bringing you the best guests right here who's the best podcast in the world right here talk is Jericho Seth Rollins next week we'll see you there yeah boy you can download new episodes of talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast that's podcast one.com